It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hi and welcome. October, it's that time of the year for me usually where, um, well for the last 20 years, I would have used October as my time to stop, to reflect on last year. I'd get my team together at the church and we'd start looking at what we've achieved and what we can do better and start making our strategic plans for the year ahead. And then we would put our budgets together all ready for um, the end of the year. And it would be the time where you would look back to see, well, what have we done and how have we been going? And for me, this year has been kind of weird because all the plans I set for last year sort of have all come to a dead end. I had some amazing plans. One particular one, which we were really looking forward to, was my wife's special birthday. I can't tell you what number that was, but it was a significant birthday. And we had a great plan, had it all sorted out. I'd planned it that I was gonna take my wife down to Dunsborough to this luxury um, retreat for a couple of days, and we were gonna come back and have our usual drinks at the Duxton, which we have every Friday night. Um, and on my boys, one from Brisbane and one from Esperance and the other who lives locally and the other one as well. We were all going to turn up with their, their wives and we were going to surprise her and take her out to the Ellington, my favourite jazz club in Perth. And we were going to go there and then we'd book this beautiful um, penthouse uh, apartment for a weekend and we were all going to stay there for the weekend. All a surprise to my wife, she had no idea. And then we were going to go out for breakfast in the morning and she would get pampered during the day and then we were going to go to the Matilda Bay um, restaurant, a beautiful restaurant down in Netherlands near Matilda Bay. We were so looking forward to it but then came COVID, hey, everything changed. We had another plan, we were going to go, my wife and I we were going to take our four-wheel drive in our camper, off-road camper, drive straight across the centre of Australia to a place called Birdsville, which is right there in the Simpson Desert for a four-day concert um, that we were so looking forward to, but then came COVID. We had planned a fantastic trip to Brisbane to see my, uh, my son over there in Brisbane, but again, um, change of plans. I wonder how many of your dreams and your hopes and your plans for the last year have just come to an end. It's not the future you were expecting. Or maybe there's other things that have come in like sickness or maybe relationship issues or maybe it's financial issues or maybe you've had a loss of a job and things just changed. It just came to a halt and you wonder why? And we've been asking that question over the last three weeks as we've looked at the concept of the kingdom of God in our lives and what would it look like if Jesus was really king. Because if you ask the question why, um, you could end up in, in a rut. You could just end up going round in circles because sometimes whys can cause us to get caught up. Why is a good question, but sometimes it could get us to a place of looking at blame, whose fault it was, who did something wrong. But the who is a much better question. And I know Mark has been talking about that, and I talked about it a few weeks ago. 
the who. Who is it that is involved in my life? Who is it that's making the difference? And today I want to talk about your future and the question is, who is it? And the question I ask myself at the moment, who is it that determines my future? Who is it that's got my future in their hands? Is it circumstance? Is it someone else? Is it uh, my bank, <laughs> my bank balance? Who holds my future? What if I could take my future and put it into the hands of someone who's safe and someone who's secure, someone I can trust? I remember uh, a while ago, I brought a brand new car. It was a beauty, I loved it. It was one of my probably the best cars I've ever had. It was a brand new, Ford Falcon XR6 with a turbo and it had a, um, it was a manual so it really went fast. It was a beautiful car. I'd only done about 500 kilometres in it at the time and I went to see a friend who's a very good driver and I went to see him and I said, mate, look at my new car. And I threw him the keys. I said, take it for a spin. We jumped in the car, we put our seat belts on and just before we went, he asked me a question that Looking back, I sh probably should have taken a little bit longer to consider. The question was, Steve, should we see what she's made of? Not a good question. We went up the street, we went round the corners. Let me tell you, that car was going sideways. It was smoking up and, and I'm sitting there hanging onto my seat, trying to stay in the seat, watching my life slip past my eyes as my body was trying to catch up with it. And I was thinking, my goodness, this was scary. And the question I have is here, is, here is my car and I've put it in the hands. I better trust the guy I've just put it in the hands of. And that's the same with our lives. Can we trust the person that's holding our future? And I suggest to you as we look at it, and if you're a believer today, then, then I want to say if you've got your hands in the hands of Christ, then yes, you've got it in safe hands. If you haven't, then I ask the question, whose hands and who is it that's holding your future? In Colossians that we've been reading through, um, Paul, the writer who wrote this letter to a church in Colossia, and he actually uh, said this, and I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Version, because I love the way it put it. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 2, it says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection. Isn't that great? That Christ's resurrection, his death and his coming back to life, is actually yours. So his new life is your life if you choose to take it. But then it says, this is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of power, honour and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not on the distractions of the natural realm. In other words, don't look at around you as being the natural realm is going to restrict your future. But if you look up into heaven to Jesus, who is the King of heaven, who has all authority, you can trust him because he has authority. You can trust him because he can do anything. There's nothing can, he can't do. He actually said that. He said, there's nothing that I cannot do because he is the King of all heaven and you can trust him. And today I want to encourage you in that as we look at um, this story today. But let me take you back to another story that I've been challenged about. You'll find it in Genesis 39. That's the first book of the Bible and I'd love you to read it. It's a great story. 
It's about a guy called Joseph. If you went to Sunday school, you would remember Joseph and the coat of many colors. He was his dad's favorite son. He was the youngest, and they're generally the favorite. And uh, he, was, uh, he got a special coat by his dad. That's what we talk about. And he had this dream, and the dream was that everybody, including his brothers and his father, would all be bowing down to him one day. That was his future. It was a dream. He was excited about it, so much so that he told his brothers. They didn't like it very much. He told his dad. He didn't like it very much until they had this plot. His brothers plotted to take his life. So they threw him down a well. He fell down a well, but they thought, my goodness, we can't really let him die. So some traders came along and they gave Joseph to the traders. You would say that his dream has now disappeared. His future has been, has been taken away from him. He's now going to be a slave rather than a king. He ends up, he goes to, um, to Egypt, he goes to Pharaoh's place and uh, Pharaoh says, I like this guy as a slave, I'll take him, pays money for him. And he is so good because God is on his side. God has his future and everything he does, he touches, is successful. So Pharaoh says, well, this is great. He gives him a promotion. Of course, then we know that Pharaoh's um, wife didn't like that very much. So what he did, what she did, is try to um, have a sexual relationship with him. And he refused that. Not a good idea. Um, not with the boss's wife anyway. So he said, well, he said, no, that's not going to happen. And she ends up falsely accusing him of rape. He ends up in prison um, again. His dream has been destroyed. His dream and his future has been taken away. And then he has these, he has another opportunity to get out of prison, but the, the, butcher, the, the baker and the cupbearer don't go and tell um, Pharaoh who, um, about the amazing things that happened in prison because they were in prison with him. And they don't tell Pharaoh that you really should let this fella out. And so he was there for another two years. You could imagine, all my dreams have come to an end. All my future that I had planned has been taken. And yet it happens that he does get out of prison. He does impress Pharaoh again. He tells Pharaoh that this is the dream that's going to happen. The whole of the community is going to end up going into a famine. Um, and people are going to come to you to get wheat because God's going to bless you if you store it all up. Pharaoh goes, wow, this is great. So he does what he said that, uh, that he's been told. And of course, he becomes very wealthy. Guess who comes to town to get the food? It's his brothers. And then he tells his brothers, go and get dad. Bring his dad. Without them knowing it, here they are bowing down to their little brother, which was what the future was about. But I love what, what Joseph says at the end. He says to his brothers, hey, Guys, don't get upset about it. God had this all worked out right from the beginning. It was his plan. God had my future in his hands. You know, you might be finding roadblocks. You might be finding things happening that you weren't expecting. You might find people that you trusted um, have let you down. You might find that circumstances, your health has let you down. Well, let me tell you, if Jesus is the king of your future, he works it all out. But I want to just uh, go on a little bit further. So if I can trust Jesus with my future, then how do I live today? So to live with Christ holding your future, 
Paul gives us three things, or four things that he suggests we should do. And we read it as we continue on in Colossians 3. We go down to chapter 12, uh, verse 12, and it says this. In verse 12, Paul says, So God chose you to be holy people. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. In other words, if you're going to live in the kingdom and let God the King, Jesus the King, determine your future, then this is how you live in the kingdom. You need to clothe yourself. You need to clothe yourself appropriately for the kingdom. And here's some things that I picked up out of this that I'll share with you. The first one is we need to dress as though we're chosen. Have you noticed that kings and princes and everyone looks at what they wear? They wear particular clothing because they are chosen. And we need to dress as though we are chosen. It says, since God chose you, what? To be a holy people he loves. That's what you were chosen for. Do you know that you are chosen? I used to go to John Forrest Senior High School back in the day. And uh, in year, we used to play basketball. And it, you, it was mostly on Friday afternoons. We'd go down to the basketball court. And the phys ed teacher would come out, we'd mess around and do some drills, and then we would have the game. And our phys ed teacher would always choose the two best basketball players as the captains. And the captains would stand there and we'd be lined up against the, the um, metal fence that was there, the chain fence. And we'd all line up and the captains would choose their particular players. It just so happens that I was always the last one against the fence. I'm not sure why, probably because of my lack of skills in basketball, but I never used to get chosen for the team. They always picked the best people first. Until one day we were out there and Dave, a friend of mine, was a really, really good basketball player. And if you got on his team, you always would win because he was just amazing. And Dave was chosen as one of the captains and there was another captain. And we're all lined up at the fence and they start choosing the players. Well, the other captain went first and he chose the best player there, um, pulls him to his side. And then Dave goes to pick his player and he's looking through and then he calls my name. And I thought, my goodness, Dave's chosen me. And I walked from the fence to his side thinking, wow, I've been chosen. And I walked as though I was chosen. You see, Dave chose me not because I was a good basketball player. He didn't choose me because um, he had no one else to choose. He chose me because he was my friend. And isn't that the same with Jesus? He chose you not because you're good, not because you're talented, not because that you say the right thing. He chose you simply because you're his friend. See, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son for you. He chose you. He chose me. Do you know you are chosen? And the invitation is there to come and step into Jesus' team. And I've got some good news for you. Jesus is the winning captain. At the end of the story, he's the winning captain. 
and you, you're chosen to come onto his side. We need to dress as though we're chosen. We need to dress up. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Clothe yourself. When my parents used to go to church on a Sunday, they would say, come on, get your Sunday best on because we're going to church. And I'd say, why do we have to wear our best clothes? No one likes wearing their best clothes. And she would say, we're going to our best clothes because we're visiting the King. You know, we need to clothe ourselves as though we are visiting the King. Joseph was clothed with a father's cloak to start off with. I want to ask you, who's clothing you? Is it your parents? Do they tell you, what you how you should live and how you should, what you should wear? Is it circumstance? Is it bad relationships that cause us to clothe with bitterness, resentment or pride or attitudes of the heart which aren't good? That we're putting on someone else's cloak. But we're told to not put on that cloak, put on a different cloak, put on the cloak of the kingdom. And the cloak of the kingdom is this. It's humility, it's kindness, it's gentleness, it's patience. But if you go a little bit before this verse at the beginning of Colossians 3, Paul tells us what we need to take off. So he says, put to death the sinful earthly things that lurk within you. He doesn't say just take them off. He says, kill them, take them out. I was weeding the other day. I hate pulling out weeds. I just put some weed killer on. I'm going to kill them. He says, destroy it, destroy the sinful, earthly things that work within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. That's the thing of this world that we live in. There is sexual immorality is not a problem quite often in our society. But you see, Paul said, take that off. That's not part of the kingdom of God. Impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, because greed is idolatry. It worships the things of this world. Isn't that something of the culture of this earth that we're living in? And Paul's saying, don't look down, look up, dress up. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when you, your life was still part of this world, but now it's time to get rid of the anger, rage, malice behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. In other words, take off that and put on some new clothing. What's the new things we're going to put on? Tender-hearted mercy. Kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. God, clothe us with that stuff. I want to be part of a kingdom that lives like that. You've got to put it on. You've got to take off the old stuff, get rid of it, acknowledge it, get rid of it, and put on that which is new. Dress to reflect. See, he says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know, I was working on the streets many, many years ago and I remember sitting in the uh, dropping centre that we had in town in the middle of Perth and there was this guy there and 
probably today's um, dress code, it was probably okay, but in those days it was very different. He had a mohawk that was purple, he had a, a nappy pin, that's the pins we used to put on nappies years ago, right through his nose, he, he had a, um, these things hanging down from his ears, he had pins in his face, he had um, interesting coloured clothing, and he just stood out. And I said to him, mate, I said, why do you dress like that? You know, it's, why do you do that? I'm just interested. And he said, Steve, mate, I want to be different. I want to be different. I don't want to be like anyone else. I want to be me. I don't want to dress like anybody else. I want to be me. I stopped for a moment. I looked around and noticed everybody else in the room was dressed much the same. And I thought, you're really only reflecting the people around you. Isn't that true? We reflect the culture around us. We dress in the culture that we're living in. We dress like those around us. We're influenced by TV, we're influenced by magazines, we're influenced by the internet, we are influenced by others on how we live our lives. But you see, Paul here is saying, let yourself reflect that of the kingdom of heaven. You see, you've been forgiven. So if you've been forgiven, don't just be forgiven, but forgive. See, it's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to forgive. You've been loved. Amazingly, Jesus gave up his life for you. And so he's saying here, so give up your life for others. I mean, Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. So in other words, reflect the same relationship, the things that God has done for you, you do for others. That's called reflecting or dressing to reflect. And the last thing that I notice is he's saying, dress for purpose. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. You get up in the morning, you get out of bed, you stand in your walk-in robe or by your dressing table, or if you're a teenager, looking at the clothes on the floor, and you decide what you're going to wear. You think about the day ahead. What have I got coming up today? And you'll put on the clothes that are going to suit the purpose of the day. If you're going to a wedding, you'll put a suit on. If you're going in the garden, you'll put your old clothes on. If you're going um, to meet an important client, you will dress up with a tie. You dress for the purposes of the day. And I think here we need to suggest that we need to dress for the purpose of the day. What's the purpose of today? It's to love others. It's to accept others. There's a whole world that needs to be loved. And we need to dress ourselves, clothe ourselves with love. You know, it saddens me so much when I hear people saying they don't feel loved in their church or they don't feel loved somewhere or they don't, especially when it comes from the church. We need to love each other. We need to accept each other. We need to embrace each other into the community. That just because you don't agree with my style, I still want to love you. I still want to accept you. You know, there's a lot of hurting, broken people in our world that need to know the love of the kingdom of God. Let God hold your future, but you reflect his kingdom. Reflect it in the way that you live. You know, it breaks my heart so often. But God wants us to live out of the relationship that reflects him. And so can I just finish by saying, as I read through this, I am challenged myself. 
And I want to just say to you, would you give your future into the hands of Jesus? Would you let him hold your future? And if you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that. Because he doesn't just say, do this. He says, clothe yourself with these things. That means he's given you the clothes to wear. Would you accept the clothes of love, of patience, of kindness, that you might be able to give that to others? Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you that we can enter into a kingdom that is different to the kingdom we're living in. And would you, Father God, would you clothe us today as we let you hold our future in your hands? Amen. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app. 